Oh, that was not a good one. That was not a good one. Oh, it's been a minute. It's been a minute since we had to had to start a podcast. Uh, we're back three walls in the BLP. Uh, it's summer. It's movies. It's everything that's going on. We've got our boys here. We got Spencer. We got Jordan. It's the greatest summer movie weekend weeks in recent history. I would say, obviously, right? Yeah. Do we agree? Yeah. Yeah. What a what a stretch of the last couple of weeks here. It's been been a lot of fun at the theaters. And uh, naturally, because of that, uh, guys, I need to know what was your favorite part of the ESPYS awards that happened a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I know uh, we all watched. I know we LeBron, all. Watched. I assume LeBron James was there, right? I'll pick that. <laughs> you sure? Uh, I, yeah. I the only thing I saw highlight wise was the like training group from the Bills got an award. Yeah, for the Demar Hamlin event so that's that's pretty cool that was my favorite part <laughs> perfect and uh thanks for listening to this week's episode we'll catch you later no just kidding um obviously <laughs> we can't let this type of week weeks month summer movie season go by without getting the movie boys to talk about it we've had a crazy couple of weeks it's been mission impossible dead reckoning part one followed by the barbenheimer experience We've got some more movies coming out in the end of the summer, but I don't really care about those. It's like, it's, it's these three movies are the movies of the summer. Indiana Jones was sprinkled in there, which was a nice little nostalgia piece. Uh, but the way we're going to do this, we're going to talk a little Mission Impossible 7 because that we talked a little off pod that it's like, that was awesome. But then it kind of got swept away with the Oppenheimer Barbie phenomenon. So we're going to hit on that because can't, can't not give the respect to the great Lord TC. Uh, <laughs> Go right into Oppenheimer. Uh, Jordan still needs to see Barbie, so we'll reconvene later to go over Barbie. But just in general, what's been like your guys' vibe about movies so far this summer? I think it's been, as we said, fucking insane, and I love every second of it. Yeah, I, I for me, um, I have have not been this thrilled to be a movie fan in a really long time. Honestly, I was talking to the group I, I did the the Barbenheimer experience with about it how the convergence of everything just has, has made movies the center of pop culture and the center of discussion everywhere. And that makes my cinephile heart very, very happy. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm like, what year is it that like (laughs) my, my parents are like texting me to go see movies and like my siblings who haven't been to movies probably since like the big double feature event of like 08 was probably big and they're like asking about movies that I've seen and outside of even like Barbenheimer so um that's yeah it's it's super exciting it's awesome it's great for like a a renaissance if you will and and it's just weird how we go from one week all the, the the news is saying like movies are dead like what's gonna happen like these theaters are going bankrupt whatever and then you have a weekend like this weekend where it's just like this is all people are talking about. Everything over exceeded expectations. So it's just a roller coaster ride and uh we'll we'll see we'll see how high we can go. Yeah, I was saying it's like I was at the so I did Mission Impossible when it came out, I did Oppenheimer when it came out, Barbie Sunday, and then Oppenheimer again last night because I'm a sucker for punishment. But um <laughs> it's just like the vibe of like the theaters are packed, every single show is tough to get tickets to. Like it it's I can't remember the last time it was like this, definitely pre-COVID, but even then it was not like 
this kind of like hysteria where like everybody's talking about it. This is like appointment TV, not TV movies to see like you had you, whatever you're doing, people are talking about it. Like any podcast that's not even a movie podcast is talking about Hmm. this whole phenomenon. And it's just awesome. Like we're cinephiles, we're psychos. We love this. So this is just like, this is our Super Bowl essentially, even though we have a real Super Bowl because we also (laughs) But it doesn't, we don't talk about sports on this podcast anymore. So, you know, <laughs> this is our Super Bowl. <laughs> Until the I birds do. are back in the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. Birds, birds Bengals. That'd be, that, yeah, there we go. There we go. I do have one thing that I was like, it kind of hit me because, we're like, we were talking about, like, off the off the pod earlier. Like, I, I go to, like, a very smaller theater. It only has, has like, a handful of theaters. But I want to bring back first come, first serve seating. Because the reserve seating thing just adds another element to it where it's like, ah, like, um, I don't want to go see this movie because I'm in the front row and I got to, like, break my neck to look up at the big screen. But then it's like, oh, sick. I, like, I got an aisle seat. Like, if I need to sneak out real quick, I can get right back in without interrupting anybody. Um, but the, the place I go to is, like, is first come, first serve. And it was, like, I, I had a cool experience, too, like someone on the other end asked us to like flip because their friends had seats of like four and they needed four. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I'll go over there. But, but it was just cool. It was like one of those things that like reserved seating has just like completely taken that away. And, and I, I would love to see that shift as we get into this renaissance of post COVID cinema. I do kind of miss that like stress nostalgia of like, let's go to a yeah. movie and then we got to find like, however many people you're going with and you got to find good seats. And then you're like, fuck, is this a good seat? I, I do miss that, but I also love not having to worry about it. It is a very double-edged sword of like, it's nice to know, like I, I sit in the same seat every single time I go to the movies. Like I get the same exact, <laughs> when I go to IMAX and Cherry Hill, it's J1 and J2 when Shannon goes with mm-hmm. me. And then when it's Marlton for prime, it's like E1. So it's like, mm-hmm. I have my seat. You know your spots. I, I wasn't, I wasn't able to get it for Mission Impossible, and I was really thrown off. I just did in J like twenty eight, so I was like, "This Ooh. is like what like the, just the other aisle, <laughs> just down the aisle." It's not the worst <laughs> thing in the world, but it's like, I it, it, you you say that it does bring up like the memories of like Spence when we would go in like middle school and like our quadruple dates, and we would have to get like <laughs> together in like a good spot of the theater. Like that was awesome, but I you know it's it's definitely a double edged sword. Yeah, it's stressful, like you said. Like I remember, uh, one of my most vivid memories of this was Force Awakens, which was probably one of the most hype movies I've ever like lived through. And just I think we got there like seven hours ahead of the time, and like there would be multiple showings that would leave before us. And as they were leaving, I had to cover my ears so I couldn't hear what they were talking about. Like it was chaos. So you're right; it does bring an extra element to it. I also think Force Awakens was one of like the last movies that did like a true midnight thursday showing like now it's just like mm. thursday at like eight o'clock which is like better for us old heads now like because we can get in get out <laughs> but like i do I, like when we would be in middle school go see like the harry potter movies or oh, whatever yeah, yeah. Midnight. like that it was, was midnight. awesome like i do miss that but i also it was, you were the you were the coolest kid in school when you showed up on friday morning and i've already seen the movie i told every, <laughs> i bragged to every oh, single yeah. person <laughs> That was, yeah, that was, those were the. I, on that too, like, why don't they change the posters? Like, you're not fooling anybody when they all say July 21st and they come out the 20th. And then there's some, like, there, the theater that I go to had, like, a, 
I forget what they called it. They built it as like the pink party premiere or something like that. And it was like, they showed Barbie like Wednesday night late. And I was like, that's like, we're just keep moving forward. Like there's somewhere there's a Tim Robinson skit with like all this where it's like, it comes out the 21st. I don't think you're supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah. Like I saw Mission Impossible the Monday of the week that it came out. And I was like, this yeah, is just- what? I'm like, this is just, what are we doing here? Just say it comes out that week. Don't give it a date. <laughs> and just call it a day. <laughs> um, But, okay, let's get into, let's do our quick spiel on Mission Impossible so we can get to the good stuff with Oppenheimer. Uh, not that Mission Impossible isn't good. Much respect, Tom Cruise. I don't want you coming to find me. Uh, <laughs> I, also, like, sorry, before we get into it, I do love kind of like the, I know, I just, I'm rolling it. The <laughs> uh, like cinematic politics that kind of took place leading up to these movies releasing, where it was like Tom Cruise was fighting for more IMAX screens because he was like, my movie needs IMAX, and the studio, everybody was like, fuck no, Oppenheimer's coming out, and he was sad about it. And then he quickly saw the public image was like, you're an asshole, and he's like, oh, I I got tickets to see all of them. I'm seeing all of them, and then like. It just kind of went back and forth, and then real quick, someone asked Christopher Nolan, "Like, are you going to see uh, Barbie?" And he was like, "No." <laughs> and I just I loved that because that was like that also brought me back to like when it was an actual competition at like the box office of like these movies want to do better on their own. It's like they don't care about just the general thing. But I I just I loved seeing that discourse on Twitter, social media, like everything. That was so fun to just see from afar. And also, wasn't it the whole thing was Christopher Nolan? Uh, he used to be with Warner Brothers, right? And then yeah. he like left because discrepancies, and they stuck Barbie like right there to like counteract his his uh, Oppenheimer, and it actually ended up working in both of their favors. But I'm sure Christopher Nolan's still a little bitter towards his old studio. Yeah, yeah, it, it did give us though that the like free movie Tom Cruise comes on screen and goes, Hey everybody, thanks for coming to see our film. Yeah. And, and I loved having that reprised after like Top Gun Maverick too. It's like, if that's what it's going to take, then, you know, I'll, I'll take the little personal shout out. That'd be all right. <laughs> yeah. So awesome. Um, okay. <laughs> now let's talk mission impossible. Uh, I, if you don't know what was happening, like if you don't follow mission impossible, the general thesis is, it's this team of agents of a secret government agent that do crazy shit and go where governments can't and they get assigned by a secret director and it's all kind of like backwards politics and government shit. And it's Tom Cruise doing crazy stunts, which is nothing different than any other Tom Cruise movie. Uh, but this one, I think it kind of took a real pivot, this whole franchise that probably – Ghost Protocol is that the I guess maybe where they kind of started building off of the movies ahead of them, yeah, a huge service to the franchise because it kind of brought some continuity and was able to build off of some things, but also be their own movie. Um, this one was the seventh one in the franchise. It builds right off of Fallout, which is one of the greatest action movies of all time, I think. Uh, everybody kind of comes back except for Henry Cavill. Spoiler alert: he dies in six. Maybe I don't know. He might be back in eight. Uh, never know you know had a great mustache this wild. Uh, yes he did this one is like they have to track down an entity an AI entity a weapon that can hack into anything and control everything 
kind of brings back some ghosts of the past from Ethan and the IMF. Wow, IMF. IMF uh, brings in some new people like Haley Atwell, and it kind of just was a thrill ride from start to finish. So I'll kind of open it to you guys to like just give your thoughts on what you enjoyed. This is full spoilers for Mission Impossible. We're three weeks into it, so <laughs> don't bitch at us, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I – I so my background with this franchise is really I didn't I hadn't watched a single Mission Impossible until I went to go see Fallout just because there was so much hype around the movie and that trailer specifically with Henry Cavill's uh, fistcock just unbelievable just an unbelievable move that he chose to do there um, that's what got me into the franchise and then I've now re- I've now watched all of them and I gotta say it's gotta be one of my favorite franchises ever like not every movie is perfect there's so many plot holes and just stupid things you kind of have to gloss over in order to fully enjoy it but once you do this is just an absolute thrill ride from start to finish really from ghost protocol on even including dead reckoning part one just so much fun and just some big stunts and just really thought out well crafted every every positive thing i can say about it this one was was really no different from the other ones for me i absolutely loved it again there's some things that just are pretty stupid like i think I think having the a- the AI villain, the entity, I, I, I it went o- either over my head or I just didn't care. I don't know. It it was dumb, but I don't very care. timely it, too. Like very like uh, super like what? Hold on, I don't know if I like this, but yeah, yeah, it was that. And then also there was a the whole submarine opening with like a potential dis- destruction of a submarine, which was also unfortunately very timely. Um, I didn't even. See. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to. There's a lot there. Uh, yeah, Chris McQuarrie is is has some crystal ball or something. But anyway, um, I I loved it. I truly loved it. I I landed on 88 out of 100 for it just because it is just so much fun. Um, Tom Cruise does it again. Ethan Hunt is just an absolute. He's like what do they say? He's like destiny. He is destiny. Whatever Alec Baldwin said in the last one, I don't remember, but so good. Haley Atwell just really an impressive addition to the franchise. I thought she was awesome. Um, Pom Clementia. I don't actually know if I'm saying that right. She was a great addition as well. I liked her actually better than the villain himself, who, who was just, you know, kind of another another villain. Um, great stunts, great action, and that's pretty much all I needed to enjoy it. I loved it. Yeah, um, a lot of the same stuff. I I, I I did catch the submarine thing too. I thought it was kind of timely, but it's also one of those things that kind of worked out really well for them that it was like wow this movie is about this like ai generated thing that can like run all this algorithm and predict like what's going to happen and then like something like that happened and i'm like wait a second i i really don't like where i'm at here i'm like reaching in to like turn my phone off so it's not listening to me anymore (laughs) (laughs) but um no i mean the stunts like obviously as things are going to get more advanced in technology and film it's just going to continue to wow us and I think a lot of his, like, the motorcycle stunt and then the entire, like, train scene was just absolutely wild. Um, I, I thought it was funny. It was on the Orient Express and honestly did not think that was a real train until now. Um, still not 100% sure it's that or if it's just, like, a tongue-in-cheek kind of reference. Uh, I really did enjoy Simon Pegg again. I always like him. I think Ding Rains is getting, honestly, hate to say it, thought he was dead saw him in the movie and I was like shit man I can't believe they got him in this before he died <laughs> <laughs> love you Bing 
<laughs> I was like, I can't believe he's dead. And I like walk out of the movie and look up and I'm like, no, still alive. Um, but but I think the writing got a little um I don't know, like the 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 overall arching plot was good, but I think the like day by day writing, if you will, was was very weak. It, they kind of gave up and they kind of made Tom Cruise like show his age, like, oh, this is a dad. Like we're gonna start making jokes now where he like has to like smirk kind of thing and like not be super serious like action star. So I'm I'm interested to see where part two brings us. Um I do like you said, I like the addition of Haley Atwell. I Vanessa Kirby, I love her and everything. Um, she was also great. Uh it it's just it's such a for me, time travel is and like where they can create someone's face to be anybody are two very very like big crutches that writers in like this plot and then like even i think like marvel got into at the end of a lot of it is it is a weakness for me because it kind of leaves open possibilities that you basically write your own end without having to connect it so um the the train scene one last thing the train scene was probably my favorite scene out of all of the series now and i think it beats the bathroom fight scene with henry cavill mm. in, in fallout which until then I, I don't think i had a better fight scene in in almost any movie that i liked more but the train scene definitely definitely got it up there yeah i think and i i think i i don't know if i texted you guys this or i tweeted it but like the motorcycle stunt was like the the big thing that they like in the trailers they did the whole behind the scenes thing of it and i was like that was like the third maybe fourth best stunt in the entire film like that was right. awesome <laughs> but like it was nothing compared to the train scene and then the chase scene throughout italy was fucking insane i also loved that they did oh, that yeah. after fast x and just yeah so much better yeah it's like it's like all right somebody's got to have some self-awareness there that you're same thing in two different movies. Literally the same <laughs> landmark, too. They were yeah. at the Spanish Steps in both movies. But you're right. Mission Impossible was, like, far and away so much more exciting. One of the best <laughs> oh, chase yeah. sequences I've seen in a long time. 100%. And I, much of what you guys said, it's very, like, stunt-heavy, which, which is kind of what you expect in this movie. But my biggest thing that I kind of took away from this was I wish they didn't – I wish – and this is this hurts me to say – I wish they pulled a Dune where they didn't admit it was a part one until the credit mm. of Dune. I wish this movie was just marketed as Dead Reckoning. And then, because if you're going through it and, you know, everything's building up, everything's building up, the train sequence happens, he escapes, Haley Atwell gets taken in by Kitridge, and then they do a close-in on the submarine to end the movie. Like, that would have been such a ridiculous, like, cliffhanger pop, I think. Granted, I think they might have had to do the part one type of thing because it was coming out of COVID. I had to kind of drum up some marketing, some interest to get it to the second one. And then I think they have two more planned after it. But I think if they just pivoted away from the part one type of thing, focused on the submarine and that closed up and then did Dead Reckoning part one credits, like that would have made it a million times better for me. I still loved it. Uh, I Granted, I... Heat of the moment, I rated it a 96 out of 100 just because I thought it was awesome. I still think it's like up like mid to low 90s, like very, very good. 
I'd probably put it on par with Fallout, which is my favorite in the in the series. Um, but Haley Atwell was fantastic. Uh, Simon Pegg continues to get more to work with in this franchise, which I love. He's so fucking talented and so just like I, I've never seen him in something bad. And, yeah, that's true. It's <laughs> a good point. Yeah. So I love that they're giving him more like instead of just like the comic relief, like, hey, like say a funny line, say like a oh this happened type of thing and giving him more to build off of. Um, I am interested to see where they kind of go with the Rebecca Ferguson plotline. Do you guys think she's actually dead? I, I'm not buying it. I don't, I, I, I don't think she is. Um, I, I don't know. It, 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 they moved on just way too quick. Very quick. And these are the, in this franchise, there's, there's all like it always ends up that like Ethan Hunt has a plan. He always has a plan. He always knows what he's doing, and we we get the joy. We're like we're like uh, Jessica Walters's character in Arrested Development when Gene Parmesan shows up or whatever his name is, and she like gets so excited every time he shows up. I feel like that's how I am at the end of every Mission Impossible movie when Ethan Hunt's plan is revealed. So I I feel like it's gonna be something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It it was like. Great action. Like Jordan said, the writing kind of fell a little flat at points. I like the addition of Shea Wiggum. I think he was kind of underutilized in this one. I hope he has a bigger role in the second part because he's just so entertaining. And like when he has that like hardened top type of role, like he's just like, that's, that's all he should play for the rest of his life. Uh, yeah, he's great. Vanessa Kirby's great. Palm Clemente F is great. Uh, I lo- I was kind of, curious how they were going to replace the Alec Baldwin character because he was kind of like a I don't he came in and was it Rogue it was, Nation? It's Rogue Nation. Yeah. So he was kind of a late addition. Did you try it again? Shut the fuck up, Siri. Um, <laughs> so he came in kind of late to the franchise, but he kind of established himself very quickly as like a a strong suit, strong counter to each each of the actors. And then they kind of killed him off kind of abruptly in Fallout, which you know, whatever happens. And I think they did a good job of like kind of making it a group of government people instead of just one guy. Kitridge was cool. Uh, Carrie L's showing up was, I, I mean, I'll never complain, but like, I was like, all right, interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then just killing him right away. I was like, all right, I don't know what they're doing here. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I had just watched Liar Liar like the day before I went to go see that. <laughs> so when he when he popped up there, I just was like, "Hey, kid!" It's so cool. But yeah, I mean, it's hard not to walk away from it excited for the next one. It's just kind of like, I think one of the good things about the franchise, but also a detriment, is like you're not really worrying about what the story is going to do. You're like, what cool stunt are they going to do next? Like, what's going to be like the marquee? Like, hey, this is what we're doing. Uh, which isn't a bad thing. I kind of love it. I mean, Tom Cruise is getting up there, so I wonder how much more he's actually going to be able to do. But again, I think his goal in life is to die while doing a stunt on a movie. So, <laughs> and we will thank him for it. God bless. <laughs> uh, the the writers won't because they'll have to rewrite the rest of the script, though. But good point. <laughs> good point. Very true. Uh, but yeah, very happy with how this franchise is going, especially in Cruise and McQuarrie's hands. Uh. Can't wait for part two. I mean, I think they're gonna have to do like a Arctic dive. That's mm-hmm. gonna be the big one, which will be cool. But they kind of did a dive already. I don't know. 
Uh, Jordan, what would you score it on your your scale? I know you do out of ten, which is a little different. I do out of ten, yeah, because I use the IMDb app, so I'm kind of yes. old school. Um, I, I give it an eight. Um, it, if if I had to give it a, a tenth of a decimal or something like that, I'd probably say like a nine, eight, nine. Um, it it was great, but like I said, it just is like it's it's one of those where you know what you're getting into. You're you're not disappointed, like. No kid's gonna walk home with an eighty nine on on a, a final and gonna be upset about it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. I do have the the one thing the one last thing I wanted to say about it was the one scene where they all kind of convened at the, the Venetian party and like you kinda they were talking about like all the plot machinations and who's on whose side, all that kind of stuff. I struggled with that scene. I didn't think it was well executed. I could not follow at all what was going on. And then all of a sudden they were like, we are in the entity the whole time. I was like, what? And then so I was telling my coworker that and he sent me this meme and I'll describe it. But it's uh, it's that meme of like the guy at the party standing up against the wall and everybody else having a great time. <laughs> and it's just the walls look like the walls of the party. And it says they don't know it's the entity, which I think is a perfect summation of how I felt in that scene. I was like, what is happening? I don't know it's the entity. I don't know what the entity is. We're just at a party in Venice. That's all I can gather here. But that was really my only, that was like my main critique of the movie. Otherwise, like I was, I was very much along for the ride. Yeah. Cause they kind of like the entity was always there. And then like, but it kind of like after the submarine opening, it kind of like faded off into like just kind of like a small plot line. And then all of a sudden it's like, boom, I'm right here. It's like, okay. What is it? Isn't it everywhere? Isn't that the whole idea? Right. Like, I, yeah. I, I right. Like, all <laughs> right. Specifically at this party. Like, I don't. I was confused. Yeah. I did love the the Dubai airport like whole sequence, like the chase and like the security count. Like that was cool. Again, was like, very cool. the whole like hiding faces is very like kind of a cop out, but it worked in that sequence for me because like, I, I guess they weren't like actually wearing masks. But it, every time Shea Wiggum just grabbed somebody else, and was like, "Come on!" and it's just some like random. Arab guy trying to go to London. I was like, mm-hmm. that yep. was great. And I heard a, a podcast with Simon Pegg and he talked about that. He's like, look, he's like, yes, I know we have masks. Yes, I know we have like face cloaking technology, but we take it very seriously and realistic in this movie. So it, the moment we like make a joke about it, like is the moment that you don't take it really seriously as, as an audience or something like that. So it was like, they're just like earnestly using this technology, whether or not we actually, obviously it's not realistic. Um, but, but, you know, they buy into it. So I buy into it. True. What always threw me for a loop for it is how their voice changes also. Like I get the, the yeah, look like different or something. Yeah. And, but like, okay. sometimes it, they do it and sometimes they don't, it's, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I will say, uh, I don't know if this, I'm, I'm probably butchering this, Asai Morales or Gabriel or, yeah. um, I, I enjoyed him. He gave me a like new Javier Bardem kind of feel as like a villain. I appreciated that. I kind of wish they would have just like plopped him in another movie in the last couple of years, just very, very subtly. Cause the like flashbacks that weren't really flashbacks yeah. were, were another kind of like plot hole that they just were like, no, no, this is what happened. And like my, my mom's leaning over. She's like, I don't remember that. I'm like, because it didn't happen. It's not right. real. <laughs> I, I literally left the theater and I was like, hold on. Was he actually in one? And like, and I just missed it or I don't remember this. And then I was like, no, they just like, they shoehorned that in to bring him in, which is like, I get it. Sure. 
but it was also like that was kind of a stretch. Like just yeah, yeah. a flashback of him like in the background of the party at Fallout or like something, and maybe it works a little. I don't know. They get paid. Well, maybe they don't. <laughs> uh, I just talk about it on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Walk that fine line. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. So we all, I mean, we all very much enjoyed it. Spence, you gave like an 88. 88. Yep. 88. Jordan, 8.9. I'm at, I wrote it down as 96. And once I get two weeks removed from a movie, I can't change it. So it's 96 in my book. Uh, Let's go. I love it. You know, it's, it's what it is. It's I I gotta, I gotta have some morals here. To I love the conviction. I will say that. Nobody actually cares, but I do. Um, <laughs> All right, I'm going to open another beer as like a point for me to maybe cut in an ad here. Uh, and now we're going to get into Oppenheimer. Uh, but before we do, everything is all about Barbenheimer, the Barbie Oppenheimer double feature, seeing it in the same day, same nine hour sequence. Uh, I know we all wanted to do it. We would have loved to have done it together. New York, New Jersey, Ohio don't really mix for that type of thing. Uh, but one of us actually did do it uh god bless and uh spence just give us a quick like a summary of like your day for it what you did how you split the time the psychological damage it did on your brain to process <laughs> all of this and like just a quick summary of that before we get into Oppenheimer. yeah and the so, physical and the physical 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 there yes. was certainly a physical toll but it was all worth it so uh i live in new york city and in new york city the times square amc um also like you don't leave the building and there's also an applebee's and a dave and busters in there and so when i first moved here a while back me and my friends were talking about like how cool would it be just for the novelty of it just to like do a double feature where you see a movie you go get lunch at applebee's you go play at dave and busters for a a couple hours and then go see another movie and that's it what a day can it can you ask for a better day without leaving me without leaving a building so we decided this would be the absolute perfect opportunity to embark on this journey so what we did is we started at um, with a 10.30 a.m. IMAX screening of Oppenheimer. Uh, then we went to – then we, we ended that, and obviously, you know, we'll get into it, but you, you do leave with this just sense of, like, absolute dread and hopelessness <laughs> coming out of that movie. But um, nothing like some Applebee's uh, to bring, bring your spirits back up. So we went directly to Applebee's <laughs> afterwards, got some lunch, absolutely needed an alcoholic beverage or two. Um, enjoyed that as, as much as you can enjoy an Applebee's in Times Square. They don't sponsor the pod. Um, what did you have? What did you have? I got to ask. <laughs> what did I have? I had a, a grilled chicken sandwich, French fries. And oh, and we started to get ready for Barbie because that was coming up. So we all ordered pink drinks. So I got a strawberry margarita. Hell yeah. Hell yep. yeah. Yep. Very and then, good. Very good. <laughs> yes. So that was that was Applebee's. And then we went up a flight of stairs, back up to the Dave and Busters, got ourselves I got a, a watermelon margarita, which was also well, it was red, but you know, it, it kind of counted. Counts. Um so the party began for Barbie and we played arcade games for about forty five minutes to an hour. And then we went into and we were ready to party and, and went to go see Barbie. And it was it was great. And I think it wasn't as tolling as it would be. And I think it helped that I was with like a group of people. So it kind of, you helped each other get your energy up and we mixed in a coffee part part of the way through too. So 
it wasn't as grueling as it might sound. And I think also just the general excitement of it all kept kept us going. We were so excited that this day was finally here, this event that everybody's talking about. And also, uh, kind of like we, we started the pod with, um, the theaters were packed. So there was just a ton of energy, a ton of excitement for both of these films. And um, it really wasn't as, as grueling as we thought it would be. It was really, really a fun day. Um, we packed a ton in, saw a ton of movies. And luckily for us, both movies were fantastic. I think everybody in our group absolutely loved both movies. I did love one slightly more than the other, but honestly, that just comes down to personal preference at that point. I really think both these movies are, are very high quality. So I think that that's a good segue to our to our Oppenheimer thoughts. God bless. Like that that's that's an accomplishment. <laughs> uh when you told me you were doing when you texted in the group that you were doing that, I was like that's the goal. Like I, I just gotten out of Oppenheimer when I heard that. And I was like, Holy shit. I was trying to process everything, but I was also like, that's fucking awesome. But then I was like, hold on. I got to like, I, I immediately texted you. It's like, what order are you seeing it? Cause I was I, granted right after it, you're feeling a type of way. I was like, that's, I, I was like, Oh buddy, I don't think that's the way to do it. But you did have kind of a good break period to kind of reset yourself and, get yourself ready and alcohol definitely helps. Um, but as you said, that's a good segue into our Oppenheimer discussion, dissertation, Ted talk. I don't know. We can probably go on for a while about this. Uh, Oppenheimer, I'll give the IMDB summary of it. Cause it literally tells you nothing about the entire movie, which is fantastic. Uh, the story of American scientist, J Robert Oppenheimer and his role in the development of the atomic bomb. Granted, like that's a good summary of it, but that doesn't get into anything about the actual movie, which kudos to Christopher Nolan for keeping that as the the running bio. <laughs> um this cast was <clears throat> fucking huge. I'm just gonna run through some quick names and then we'll get into like our thoughts, get do a deep dive. Killian Murphy is J. Robert Oppenheimer, Emily Blunt is Kitty Oppenheimer, his wife, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Alden Ehrenreich. Jason Clark, uh, Tony Goldwyn, uh, Kenneth Branagh. I mean, any fucking everybody else. Josh Hartnett making a big comeback. Love seeing him. He was great. Uh, Another World War II theme movie. <laughs> yeah. Alice Wolf, Josh Peck, Dylan Arnold, Florence Pugh, fucking Casey Affleck showed up halfway through, which was awesome. Matthew Modine, David Des. Tamaki and butchered that. Dayton, like I could go on. J- Jack Quaid. Like all right, I'm done. But like Christopher <laughs> Nolan directed, wrote, he adapted the book uh, American Prometheus, which I am now reading because I'm a psycho. Uh, I'm also very deep into this, and uh, I kind of leave it at that. We can get into everything. I don't think we need to do spoilers. This spoiler alert: they built an atomic bomb and they dropped it in real life. <laughs> Like that really happened. But um, I saw it twice. I did bring my notebook for the second one. Wasn't sure if I was going to use it. Didn't use it because I was like, no, I don't need it. Like, I just want to kind of experience this again. I wrote some things down when I got back, but let's kind of start diving into it. Um, Who who wants it? Who wants it? I'll go. I'll go. I'll lay a little groundwork. So, um, like like you said, the the cast was great. I this movie, 
and Barbie, I purposely for these two kind of told myself I wasn't going to dig into. I wasn't going to try to see like who's oh, in it, like sorry. who who's like who plays a small role. Before, uh, George, I'm sorry. I don't want to. I hate that I cut you off there. Uh, before you continue your probably brilliant thought there, did you got so like I meant to ask this at the beginning and I didn't because I was too excited. Um, when a movie like Oppenheimer is kind of like a <laughs> biopic, true story, historical nonfiction type of movie comes out, and it's like a subject that you're not too familiar with. Do you try and dive into it ahead of time to give yourself kind of a groundwork or do you kind of try and go in just knowing what you know and then just kind of experiencing it and then diving into it afterwards? Very quick, just give your answers on that. And I'm sure as we talk about it, we'll kind of expand on that because I like to not know anything. I'm a big history guy. Like I consider myself a history buff. I was a history minor at Dayton, no big deal. But um, I like to, if, I, if it's a subject I don't know about, I'm like, I don't want to know anything. <laughs> see the movie, experience it, dive into it afterwards. You guys, sorry. Uh, I I don't, I don't know if I have like a blanket answer to that. I think it's situation by situation. This one in particular, I did not. I mean, I obviously know the big picture stuff. I did not know the details. I did not do any research. Um, I do think the best type of stories and the best type of movies will make you want to dig into it afterwards. So I do see myself like digging into this history a little bit more now that I've seen the movie. Uh, but no, I, I don't typically feel the need to educate myself on a fictional retelling of a historical event like this. Jordan, and then go into your, again. Yeah. I'm, really I, interrupted. <laughs> you're good. You're good. Um, I, I'm the same way. Uh, I, if it's something that I know about, I'll kind of like be like, Oh, like, I wonder how they're going to do this, this, and this. And, like, when I'm seeing it, I'll critique it that way. But I'll typically go back afterwards and, like, learn a little more. So, like, a lot of the supporting characters, like, a lot of the scientists he had and things like that, I was, wasn't 100% sure that they were all, like, fictional stuff. And, like, even, like, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, who I, was, like, a very prominent part of the plot, um, I was, like, I don't even, I don't even know if this guy was a real dude kind of thing but i mean i assumed he was as much but um kind of in that same vein i'll just i'll sort of like scope it out and then do the old grade school venn diagram <laughs> yeah like where they were similar and where they were kind of different and go from there but so that's essentially how i like approach this one i i purposely like didn't look into any of it i also didn't look into like the, the cast or like things like that i just would passively see things like Oh, Christopher Nolan's not going to use CGI. I'm like, okay, he like never does. Um, things like that. So then at my mind too, I was kind of like, shit, this dude's about to build an atomic bomb. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't believe like the studio is going to let him just do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so when I was watching this, obviously like seeing trailers and things like that and like the big people, like your, your leads and like your main supporting actors and actresses, I, I had an idea obviously of it. Um, but, like, the names you were all mentioning, like, Josh Hartnett, um, Casey Affleck, Rami Malek, Kenneth Burnett, I always mess up his name. He's great. He's an incredible director and incredible actor. Um, Benny Safdie and Jason Clark, those ones were all the big ones that I was like, holy crap. Like, if, if you had, like, a supporting, supporting actor category, like, these, these would get all my votes for this, especially Benny Safdie. I thought he was huge in this. Jason Clark was amazing in a lot of the like 
flashback with the trial thing, or I guess flash forward if we're talking in reference to the movie. Um, not even trial, like the appeal. But um, no, they were great. I think the selection of these actors and actresses for these characters was just completely on point. I, I haven't seen a star-studded cast like this in a lot of very, very good roles since <laughs> maybe like, I don't know, Christopher Nolan's like last big movie, like one of the Batman movies probably. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I, I just never found a point to go to the bathroom. And I think that says so much about a movie that there's so much intensity, so much content, so much just like continuation of just driving the plot forward and then just building and building and building on it that there's just no letdown of it. And I mean, it's just like a metaphor, I think, for the entire process that they had where they just continued, continued and continued. And they, there was just really no point of stopping or pausing. And I think ultimately there was like a higher message in it, but I digress a little bit on that. Yeah, I think um, I, I was, I was very, it sounds so silly to say impressed by a Christopher Nolan movie that was this hype, but I was still just like so unbelievably impressed at the end of it. Like, yeah, I mean, even throughout it, it's, I've never seen a biopic biopic however you say it i'm gonna say biopic i've never seen a biopic that is a thriller like when they're doing that trinity test i i mean i'm clenching onto the the sides i but i know what happens but i don't but it doesn't matter and that's that's what makes a good movie and i think that actually kind of ties back to what you're talking about the the history of it all like i don't really care because because i think the movie speaks for itself and obviously the it's not a one for one retelling necessarily. Um, so if I do want to dig into that later, I, I can, but the movie on its own, just so compelling, so thrilling, great performances, pretty much from top to bottom. There was a couple performances that I didn't really vibe with. And um, I, I was also distracted by some of the casting, particularly Josh Peck. Uh, maybe that's just a, a someone our age thing. Like we seen him in Drake and Josh and I was like, you are not a brilliant scientist. Like I was just very confused. Uh, him and even Jack Quaid kind of threw me off a little bit. Dane DeHaan, I was like, I feel like you're too young to be like making these big military decisions. Like he just didn't play right for me. Pretty much other than that, like A plus, A hit everything out of the park. Like truly just great visuals, incredible sound and music, and um, just really great performances from every pretty much everyone from the leads to the supporting to the supporting supporting um the one I, what I did want to call out particularly who I don't think is getting as much attention as I think his performance should was uh where oh my gosh why am I forgetting his name I'm looking at the cast list here oh David Krumholtz is oh. that what you were gonna say no David Krumholtz. yes no Bernard the Elf to keep going <laughs> Bernard the Elf from Santa Claus just brought this level of like gravitas and realness to this story he was he was uh, Oppenheimer's friend and like basically kind of one of the only people he could trust throughout the whole thing. He would just kind of show up and would make sure he was eating. He handed him the oranges at that one point. Like, you know, they, they talk about and, and it was not a major point in the story, but like Oppenheimer was a Jewish person in this in this time. And um, obviously he's very personally invested in this this war that's happening. But David Krumholtz brought that real feeling to it. Like he, you kind of he, he kind of reminded you that, you know, 
this is a real thing that's happening to this group of people. And it's, it's truly horrific. And it kind of makes you buy into why this, we need to race to get this, this horrible bomb done first. So th- that was just, that's top level what I'd say. And also I wanted to call out Josh Hartnett. I don't know if that's who maybe you were going to say, but Josh Hartnett is on an absolute tear right now. He's killing it between black mirror and this, and I think some guy Ritchie movie, I think. So he's, he's doing awesome. So I, just really, really, really happy with how how this ended up. I'm so happy because both of those characters, those actors, crushed it, and they were not who I was going to say. So very happy. But like, I'm I'm going to get to mine in a second. My top level thoughts, like Spence, you called it a biopic that's a thriller. I like last night realized like how I characterize this, and it's a lot, but it, I think they all make sense. So obviously, biopic, psychological thriller courtroom drama mm-hmm. drama and then the just like plain old thriller and i think that's like if you just told some like random person on the street like yeah go see oppenheimer's all of these things they'd be like why the fuck yeah. did i subject myself to that but he christopher nolan and all of his genius blends all of those together in this story and it makes it work it makes it flow it's three hours long but it doesn't feel like three hours at all like it fucking starts and then finishes and you're like holy shit it is now three hours past what i thought it was and i want more like you kind of like i'm seeing a lot of people online be like it could have been an hour shorter i'm like what are you watching like i wanted a four hour five hour (laughs) like you could have gone into so much more detail and that's like i think that's the tell of like a great writer director like combo when like it's a long movie and you're like, that was one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. I wish I had more. Like, that speaks volumes to me. Yeah. Um, the actor I was going to say was all in fucking Aaron Reich. Oh, yeah. Like, he, mm. like, he was kind of, he's kind of like, he's the guy that was like Han Solo in that bad Han Solo movie. Uh, he's been in some very <laughs> good things since then. Like, he's very talented. He was great in Hail Caesar. I love that movie. Um, and then he kind of, he got cast in this, and I was like, "All right, that's interesting." Like Nolan typically take, likes to take some chances on some kind of well known guys. And then as the movie starts, you're like, "All right, he's just gonna be kind of like a stooge for Robert Downey Jr.'s character, and just kind of play the story along." But then it gets to that certain point in in the story, and he kind of does that turn of like, instead of being like this the faithful servant, being the guy that's like, "Well." the fuck is going on here i don't like any of this and then he turns on that like kind of charm like attitude and i thought he fucking crushed it i thought he kind of stole the show um the other actor actress i was gonna say emily blunt i thought she was very kind of like i was excited to see her in it because she's fantastic and everything she is and then like as the movie's going you're like all right she's she's there like uh kind of hate her character she's kind of a shitty mother like just kind of an alcoholic and like despises everything about her life uh she's on her fourth husband with oppenheimer and then that um that scene where jason clark's roger robb starts interrogating her and she starts off kind of like fumbling and then immediately flips i was like oh fuck here we go all right Mm. this is this is what i wanted out of emily blunt and she knocked it out of the park completely redeems like kind of maybe the meh character at least to me in like a 10 minute scene crushed it uh 
going off. Wait, of- sorry, sorry, Mike. Can I jump in yes. there real quick? I I wanted to talk about that because I think honestly I don't have a lot of critiques to this movie, and I've already addressed one of them, which is some of the minor casting, and then this this is really kind of my only other one, and it's it's and it's not Emily Blunt's fault whatsoever because I thought she did knock it out of the park, especially that scene. Uh, I really struggled buying into their relationship, like you have three hours here like give me another scene or two between them or show me show me them you know they're they had the one flirting scene and then all of a sudden they have a kid and that probably is maybe how it happened but still like as an audience member i was like you're kind of doing their relationship and her character a disservice by only showing you know her having the the flask fall out of her bag or her being a really bad mother when he's also pretty terrible too like he was sleeping around and everything and i think I think with three hours of, of real estate, you really could have done a lot better to make me buy into their relationship a little bit better. So that that moment when she puts on the uh, amazing performance, I feel more compelled for the story and not just for the craft of acting, um, because I didn't I didn't really buy that this character would necessarily do that to support <laughs> this guy who like they don't have a relationship like we didn't see any of the relationship and all we saw was bad. So. That was really my other main critique. And I think this is a, I've been doing some reading about Christopher Nolan too. Apparently this is a pretty common critique of Christopher Nolan is that he doesn't really handle women characters very well. Um, And so I think this is another example. I know Emily Blunt's getting early Oscar buzz. Um, I'd be very happy for her if she got nominated, if she won. I just don't think the part is deserving. Um, And that was, that honestly brought it down a couple points for me in my score, but uh, other than that, and sorry to interrupt you, Mike, but that was, I really just wanted to get that critique out of the way before, before I, I waxed poetic about the rest of the movie. Yeah. And, and I agree with that, that they didn't really go into their relationship. And I think at least from my point of view, granted, I, again, I thought she was kind of wasted for two hours, 40 minutes of the movie, which kind of sucks. Cause she's such a talented actress, but I was like, taking a step back and looking at it because they kind of, he kind of portrays her as like this shitty mother, like no relationship with him. Like just, I don't want to say shitty mother. I'm sorry. Alcoholic, like not really invested in anything. Doesn't really buy into his work. And then that like complete turn to be like, no, no, no. That like this man, like he is fantastic. I think it kind of worked in the framing of the movie there but I would like to have seen kind of their actual relationship and building it up because then after that, that scene at the end where she, he's like, she's like, they tarred and feather you. Do you think they're going to forgive you? That kind of like, if it kind of carries some emotional weight for it and you feel it. But I do think, like you said, if you kind of got into their relationship a little bit better of like some of the good things, some of the bad things, like a little bit of that, that carries even more weight. And the interview scene carries a little bit more. Um, but I agree with what you say. I I think kind of taking a step back and being the objective, like, hey, this is kind of maybe what he was going for. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, an actress that I thought was good, but completely wasted in this movie. And that feels so like cliche and like awful to say was Florence Pugh. Like, I granted, I knew she was cast and she was a love interest. I didn't know any of the story. But like immediately, I'm like, oh, she's not going to have anything to to really contribute here. Like, she's just kind of his communist booty call, and like that's great. She's good in her couple scenes, but she didn't really get a lot to work with. 
She didn't get a lot of character death to build into. She didn't get a lot of story to dive into. She was kind of just like there to kind of give him that awesome quote in the initial scene with the two of them. And then she's just kind of like, Hey, like let's meet up and have sex. Like awesome. Cool. Then she's kind of like just there. And I thought that was kind of wasted because that scene where he finds out she killed herself or was killed. I don't know. They kind of left that ambiguous, which I liked. Like I didn't buy it. Like I was just like, ah, whatever. She's gone. Like, I don't like, I get it. He's upset, but cool. Like, whatever um granted they might not have had a lot of information to build her character off of which would make sense but i think she and she was great in the scene she was in but i think that was kind of just a waste of that caliber of actress put in that role and then kind of just carry her along as she was i don't know um but now we can kind of dive a little bit deeper into it I mentioned this to Shannon after we left, and I don't know if you guys picked up on this or if you knew this going into it. The choice that Nolan made when he was shooting the film, anybody that's seen the trailers or seen the film knows it's color and it's black and white. The color aspect of it is like, this is Oppenheimer's point of view. Like, this is what he saw. This is his take on everything. And then it cuts to the black and white, and that is Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Louis Strauss, his point of view. So anytime you see a black and white, that's from Louis Strauss and his point of view is like, it is black and white. There is no gray area. This is true. Boom, boom, boom. Whatever I say is right. And then you cut to Oppenheimer and his color. He's more subjective. Like this is truly what was going on. Truly what I was feeling. Truly what I was seeing amongst my other uh, scientists. And I thought that was fantastic. Such a great contrast of like the two characters because they don't share a lot of screen time together, maybe 20 minutes total in the entire film. But the entire time you're like, it's these two guys going up against each other, but not really. But you just feel that tension between the two guys. And I love that choice. I don't know if you guys picked up on that, had any thoughts on that, but I kind of wanted to start there diving into it. Um. Uh, yeah, no, I, I thought it was, uh, I, I didn't necessarily pick up on that specifically. I did definitely got like different vibes when it was black and white and, and color, but, uh, I love that analysis. I think that totally checks out and that is, that is extremely powerful. Yeah. Jordan, can you hear us? Uh, there, <laughs> yeah. there we go. We, we can hear you now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I, I've been writing down everything I wanted to say from all this. <laughs> so, um, to going back, I, I totally, <laughs> the the internet is killing me um going back the the whole dane dehan um jack quaid josh peck i can definitely sympathize with that i think that part's huge i think those guys were it, it, i think we're getting to a point now where we're like shit we need to like recycle actors and i think that's kind of where those guys fit in those buckets i i personally am not the biggest fan of dane dehan i just he just he rubs me the wrong way every time I see him in a movie. Um, but but uh, the I kind of had an opposite thing of the David Crumhold take that you had, where when I first saw him, the only thing I could think of was him having a dick on his face by Heath Ledger. And it was like, in <laughs> 10 Things I Hate About You. And, and I'm kind of thinking like, holy crap, in this like Christopher Nolan universe, like how poetic is it that Heath Ledger like, 
extrude his dick on this guy's face in this movie and then like he like dies because of everything with the dark knight and then now this guy's in like christopher nolan's like next big step in the movie like like uh, that was that was kind of funny in my head as i replayed through that but um no i agree i i think the writing it, it is tough for a woman character in christopher nolan's universe because he he focuses on very quote-unquote masculine themes for it and paints a lot of them and a lot of the female characters in really crappy spots where like i mean no nature of the history but like emily blunt's character is an alcoholic like she has her big moment at the appeal trial what have you um and then florence Pugh is like she's just like ridden with a bunch of psychiatric issues substance issues what have you as well and it makes it great for his story but it makes it tough for the character development and even like an acting spot for them so the the fact that she's getting oscar nods i think is huge because it's like such an uphill battle that she's even going from by by just having this role in general but showing uh, showing i think that how much her performance really outweighed the like hand she was dealt um I, I did notice the black and white and color thing though because i unfortunately saw something on twitter like i i'm trying to remember if i saw it saturday i think i saw it on a saturday or i don't remember but i i've seen it when it came out and i i knew this was a thing and i was like damn it like i, I made such a conscientious effort to to not ruin spoilers and things like that that i ended up falling in this and it sucked, but going into it and knowing that it was cool because then I could like cipher out the storylines in my head into two different buckets. Um, but it, it's almost one of those where it's like the ending of it was so good that it would have been kind of like back to the Mission Impossible conversation, almost hilarious if there was, was like a part two or like an intermission that they didn't talk about is like this movie's so long there's so much action there's so much writing and i agree with you mike where it was like oh three hours like shit like the bomb test happened and i was like oh all right great we got like another hour and a half of this like this is awesome and then i was like shortly over after that and i was like ah well you know this is one movie where i wish it would have been like old school like green mile where there was like an intermission or like a second vhs that came with it that you had to like pop in after and have a break and things like that. <laughs> yeah, and I think for diving into the uh, the actual like scene of like the Trinity test and everything like that, I when I saw it the second time, I was like, Trinity test happens, and then that scene kind of like ends. And I was like, a lot of directors, writers, like filmmakers, probably would have just taken that and ended the movie there. And I think it's so. I think we were very lucky, like we as like moviegoers were very lucky that this was a Christopher Nolan movie because he was like, yeah, that's the big like magnum opus, like big thing of his career. But there's so much shit that happened after it that this is just as important to the character, to the person. I hate saying character because this is a real person to the person that is more important than that test and drives kind of how he's viewed. And I thought that that was kind of so awesome to be like, boom, this happens, and then they dive into more. As Jordan said, I wish they dove into even more. Like, give me two more hours on the whole trial, not trials, appeals, 
approvals, denials, everything on that. And I would have been happy, but I, I mean, I can't complain really about much of it. As we said, there's little nitpick things that we as stupid podcasters from New Jersey, New York and Ohio can say, <laughs> but um, I did like how they don't really give you, you know, how sometimes movies that are like timelines and like do flashbacks and flash forwards. They give you like April, 1942 Germany, like whatever that, this movie did none of that. Like, cause I didn't think they needed it because it kind of t- tells the story, progresses it, does the flashbacks and flash forwards and whatever. And it all fits and it all works. Mm-hmm. And the audience doesn't lose track of what's going on. And I thought that was kind of a refreshing thing to see, because I think that's kind of, as we said with mission impossible, kind of a cop out that writers and directors do to be like, Hey, I'm holding your hand through this. Like, this is what's going on. And I think Granted, Christopher Nolan, he makes movies for himself and he makes movies the way he wants to. But I think he made this movie knowing, like, if you're watching this, you're going to understand what's going on. You're not going to need me to hold your hand. You're going to see this. You're going to see this through. You're going to see all the trials and tribulations. You're going to see the Lewis Strauss part. You're going to see the Oppenheimer part. You're going to see everybody else. And then you're going to get to the end and it's going to make sense to you. And I thought that was awesome. Draws. Lewis Strauss. Draws. Sorry. <laughs> damn shit. Right, when I... <laughs> when I looked him up on Wikipedia, there's like a specific denotation that says straws, like drinking straws. And I was like, this is actually really funny. Um, the Mike, since you've seen it more recently and twice and since having a pretty good memory, do you guys know if the like, and this is like on the list of questions I would ask Christopher Nolan if I had a chance to ask him questions. The blonde girl, the Ruth Tolman character, where he like is alleged to have had an affair with or something like that. I felt like he was never on screen. And if like, yeah, they played him up as like a womanizer, but it seemed like it was just like with Florence Pugh's character. It didn't seem like it was like several different women. So that's where I was kind of, I think a big plot hole for me was like, why didn't they just do like a quick little montage of having him like sneaking off at parties with women just to like mm-hmm. point that out? I mean, you literally have three hours. Like yeah. that could be 25 seconds. <laughs> so I'll let you spend, because me and you're both nodding and like excited to talk. I didn't pick up on it until the second viewing. Uh, the scene in the hallway with uh, Oppenheimer and Kremel's character where they're talking about Josh Hartnett's actor or character testifying or not testifying, being interviewed. And they're like, he yeah. Told- that he they had an affair and he died of a broken heart and then Oppenheimer's like that's ridiculous he's like why he's like because he never found out I didn't pick up on that in the first viewing because I'm like I didn't either and then I picked up on it last night I was like oh my god that motherfucker was fucking her too and (sighs) it it blew my mind it made so much sense (laughs) that I was like holy shit like this because they mentioned he's like he's a womanizer he's all this like he just he did he had sex with Florence Pugh's character and his wife and probably a couple others, but I was like, I don't really get it. And then, like, that clicked, and I was like, this dude, like, what the fuck? Like, such a, like, little kind of throwaway line that probably everybody else didn't pick up on, but, like, nailed it for me. Sorry, Spence. No, 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 that's great. I I did not pick up on that line either. Um, So I have two things to say about that. One, um, I totally agree with you, Jordan, in that, like, I feel like Yes, they've said he was like a womanizer a handful of times, but like, 
I didn't really see it. And I think that kind of goes hand in hand with what I was saying, the criticism of the the relationship between him and Emily Blunt. Like that side of his character was just not a focus of this movie at all. And I do feel like it is pretty important to his character and important to some points they were trying to drive home at the end, especially with Emily Blunt and with, you know, like you said, Josh Arnett's character testifying or whatever. Um, that's an important piece. So it's kind of weird that in a three hour movie that is just so cast aside besides like the sex scenes with Florence Pugh, like that was it. <laughs> Chris yeah. Nolan just really wanted to show that, uh, but kind of disregarded all the rest of it. So I agree. I thought that was a little muddy and it was told, not shown, but I'm not saying that in that I need to see the sex scene, but like, I need to see him like, you know, I need to see these womanizing <laughs> habits, right? Like that's, that's like an important piece of the character. Um, so that brings me to my second point that I want to say about that. And honestly, this is probably my final piece of criticism of the movie is that, and it, again, this is a classic Christopher Nolan thing. And I, I texted this to one of my friends earlier today. I think he's just, he's too arrogant to do ADR. He refuses to do ADR, which yeah. is for those listeners who, who might not know, it's like after a movie's filmed, when they're watching back the take and they're watching back the editing, like you notice that the line doesn't come across as clearly because it's hard with the boom mic to pick up a line. So they send the actor to the studio, they re-record the line, dub it over. That's a very common practice in movies. And um, really the first, I, most of his movies have this issue where I, there are several lines of dialogue that are just completely inaudible to me. Um, the biggest culprit was Tenet. I really struggled with Tenet because I could not, I could not understand a single word of dialogue that they were saying. That was really tough for me. Um, this one had less of that, but it definitely came through a couple times. And I wonder if maybe that's one of the lines I just could not even pick up on just because the, the dialogue. So again, that's just a Nolan thing. And that's will prevent me from ever just like giving his movies like 100 out of 100, like glowing phrase, because sometimes I just miss some stuff just due to the technicality of it. Yeah, it, it <laughs> when the movie first started, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, he heard everybody complain about he, how you couldn't understand anything in Tenet, and he just upped it to a thousand. And this yeah. <laughs> and I was like, and he was like, fuck all of you. But then it kind of, it got better. Like, initially, it's like, all right, like, boom, like, a lot of noises, like, all, like, kind of the yeah. wheels moving around, like, can't really know what's going on. And then it gets better as the movie goes on. But that's just who he is, as you said. Um, that tenant comment hurts because that's probably my second favorite Nolan movie. <laughs> um, but before, like, I, I'm gonna turn it to you guys to give kind of like your more deep dives and like real good thoughts on everything. Uh, this movie like made me realize, and I shame on me for forgetting this, but how fucking good of an actor Robert Downey Jr. is. Like, and I think a lot of people are kind of caught in that like. Oh, he's just Iron Man. He's been in a couple other things. And like, you kind of get lulled to sleep in that. But man, he was so good and convincing and conniving and like believable in that Lewis Straws role, especially the first hour or so of the movie. Because I noticed it in the second viewing last night, like right at like an hour and a half, where in the hearing about his like approval denial for the cabinet when they mentioned that they're going to bring scientists ahead to kind of testify and like give their thoughts on him right after that, he kind of starts spiraling as a, like the characters are spiraling and like, Oh, I got to play defense. I'm like, and initially you're like, why is he like so interested? What's going on here? Like, and you're kind of trying to guess. And I think that kind of leads into my next point of like, 
Nolan wrote this biopic as kind of like a whodunit type of thing, like a, a very high level, like mystery type of thing of like, who do you believe? Who's saying what, what's going on? Who's the kind of like got all the information, who's pulling the strings behind the scenes. And I think that point of the movie is kind of where it starts to unravel for his character and us as like viewers to be like, what's going on here? Like, why is he so like, whatever, or maybe not. And it's kind of like carries on and you're just like, it builds the suspense and mystery of it. But then kind of leading right into that, the reveal of Rami Malek's character, because he was kind of hidden the entire movie. Like he has that intro in the Chicago scene. I don't even remember if they say his name or not. And then he's kind of like, just like that bumbling guy with the clipboard. And it's like, oh, Dr. Hall is going to testify. He'll be good for us. And you're like, all right, who the fuck is this Dr. Hall guy? Like, he's going to be somebody that's just pro Louis Straws. And I'm not going to, like, I don't know who this guy is. And then he struts out there and I'm like, the fuck? Like, all right, Rami Malek actually has more to do in this movie than being the guy with the clipboard. Which you kind of assume because he's an Oscar winner. Not rightfully so. (laughs) But, uh... I'm never going to let him live that down. <laughs> but, um, and then he just does that complete turn of like, this guy fucking sucks. Fuck this dude pro Oppenheimer. It was a witch hunt. And you're like, what the fuck is happening here? And I thought that was such a great way to kind of hide his character, but show him there and then build him up to this kind of like crescendo where you're expecting this, like maybe not him, but maybe another actor or whoever. And that whole story, slew of actors that are in it to show up and he just flips it on his head um i thought that was fantastic but i'll kind of then turn to you guys about your little points or whatever you guys picked up on or your favorite parts of it and we can kind of get that a little <laughs> bit more into it and then give our actual final thoughts like that yeah. i could talk forever about this i did want to comment on uh robert Downey jr perform robert Downey jr's performance like you were saying I love, I mean, he was fantastic. And I think the casting was extra brilliant because um, you have, you, we all know him as Tony Stark. I mean, obviously he's done a million other things. He's a very accomplished and talented actor, but you know, we know him as Tony Stark and he's this confident, like exuberant, like kind of guy. And you see that in the first half of the movie, he's there, he's very confident. He has this veneer of, you know, you know, prestigious kind of thing. And when you see that, like, shell, that veneer get broken down at that point, that's what made the ending so powerful from him. Because you see this guy who we know as this confident guy, he was broken, he was paranoid, he was just so upset. And, like, it's just so, like, such a 180 from what we know him as Tony Stark. And I thought that was just absolutely brilliant. I also heard, this is not my original thought, this whole movie, if you really wanted to view it as um, Christopher Nolan as a metaphor saying he is Oppenheimer. He created this superhero movie uh, stretch that we've been on with bat with the dark Knight, And he's like, what have I done? What have I built? And to turn it to make Tony Stark, who's really kind of the follow-up to Batman be the one that's like made to look like a fool by the end of it. It's kind of like an in commentary. I don't even know if that went through his head, but I thought it was really interesting. <laughs> um, I'm sure it was there. That dude doesn't miss anything. He, no, it's true. Like, it really could be. It really could be. Um, That's kind of beautiful. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, it kind of fits, right? <laughs> it kind of fits. Um, oh, shit. <laughs> I think really the two moments that, like, 
struck the biggest chord with me. Um, well, first of all, we've we've gone for almost an hour and and have not even really mentioned the name Killian Murphy, which is yeah, hold on, a travesty. He is pretty much a lock to be nominated for best actor and i i think he probably should win best actor after that i mean he was fantastic like this man there's nobody who can give just like a dead eye stare better than killian murphy when he is just his soul is shattered and broken but he has those baby blue eyes just like staring into nothingness he killed it he was fantastic from start to finish so i wanted to just give that shout out and then the two moments that i really wanted to to talk about the first of which was my favorite scene in the movie was not the Trinity test at all. It was amazing. It was after that. It was after the bomb dropped and he had to go to that gym or whatever it was to go give a speech to people. And you really just started to visually see what he was feeling at that time, which was like, I mean, he was, he was just in pain. Like everything. Like, yeah. Started to hit him right then and there. And it's like, okay, here we go. Yeah. What a powerful scene. Just, you can see it like, they had like everything shaking and they had the light flash and you saw like the woman's face peeling away in his vision. And um, I don't even, I was just at, like completely blown away by that scene. Like what an artistic way to get across the impact of what happened without actually showing what happened. Cause nobody wants to see that cause it's so horrible. Um, what a great, what a fantastic scene, great performance, great. Like the way that scene was visualized and, and thought of was just, really 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 impressive so that's one and the second one maybe i don't want to go into too much detail yet because it's the end but it's the, the the final moments and the fact that robert Downey jr's character thought they him and uh, oppenheimer and albert einstein were talking about him and he's just so paranoid they didn't even talk about him at all <laughs> they just recognized that they set off a chain reaction that could lead to a nuclear holocaust and that's it what a what an impactful ending what a great bow to tie on the characters and the story and the real life magnitude of the situation. Just, just a perfect, perfect ending. Jordan, I'm I know, so glad you said that. I know you want to go real quick. <laughs> the, the lead in of like all narrating, but like no one heard that. So maybe they didn't talk about you at all. And then boom, cut right to it. I was like, done. Brilliant. Perfect. Brilliant. Sorry. Jordan. Uh, I'm going to stop cutting you off now. Uh, I was going to say, I was I was hoping so badly that they were gonna say something like, "So what did you really talk about that?" And it just cuts, and he just says something so unrelated, so dumb, like his hat blew off. Maybe he was like, "Oh, I don't know, maybe something to keep my hat on." I don't, anything like that would have been hilarious for the writing of that. And I like I get where he was going. He's like, "Oh, like it was a bigger message of like, oh, like." Now you have to like live with being this decision and like live with the work you did and things like that. But I was like, oh, I would I would just walk out of this movie and just be clapping <laughs> if he was just said something completely unrelated and so stupid. Imagine um, if he was just like bitch would be crazy, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I would have been like Oscars, all of them, right now. <laughs> Send them screenplay, please. Thank you. <laughs> The the one thing that that really hit for me too, and I don't I don't know if you guys may have caught it, um, but it was one thing that really caught for me because when they were like, oh, we're going to like cow, and then hey, sorry, dog, um, he's like, oh, we're gonna have cow, we're gonna have Los Alamos, we're gonna have Chicago, <laughs> um, I was like, oh, this is cool, and then when they go to the the football f- uh, field in Chicago, and 
someone's like, oh, they put it under the stadium. And I don't know if you caught it, but he's like, yeah, because they're certainly not using it anymore. The the history of that I love because Chicago used to be a original member of the Big Ten, and they cut their football team in 1939 until like 46. But in like 42 or 43, they left the Big Ten. And I was like, oh, my God, that is so funny because it's like such a cut deep at it. And like wow. everyone from Chicago is like stubbornly Northwestern fans because like <laughs> – they want to root for you, Chicago, but you, Chicago, is like a small D3 school now. So I was like, wow, what the trajectory of how that took off and just like the backhanded comment about the entire university. <laughs> did not catch fantastic. that. I did not catch that, but that <laughs> is awesome. Holy shit. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. Who would have thought Christopher Nolan is a big, big 10 football guy? <laughs> Holy shit. Oh. <laughs> I'll give a couple of quick, like, notated thoughts that I, like, picked up on that I wrote down after the second viewing. Um, the the Casey Affleck intro two hours into the movie, like, where he's just, like, this hardened, like, douchebag, like, looking for problems detective. And then he's just gone right after that. I thought it was so awesome. And it made me, I, granted, he's not the best person in the world. Like, he's got some demons and whatnot and... I'm not going to comment on any of that, but he is such a talented actor and I think he's so underappreciated. Brandon, this is talking about a guy that won best actor, but I don't think if you're talking to like the general public of like, Oh, like who's a good actor that you like in like a dramatic role or like can really portray something like that. I don't think his name comes up in the first 15 people. And I think it should because he's very talented and very, he can portray many different emotions and different feelings and things like that. And I loved his kind of like, intro boom he's this guy that like you're not sure what's going on here and then it turns out he's this really hardened like anti-communist pro like free well world war one russian investigator like that was awesome to me i love that um we also didn't talk about matt damon like he's just it's matt damon uh, I love seeing him in non like super action roles because it does get to show his like true dramatic chops. Because we forget he's a very very talented dramatic actor. Just going back to Goodwill Hunting, like it's Matt Damon. He's very fucking good at everything he does. I can't believe we forgot to talk about him. He was great. I, I actually have him on number three on my best supporting actor list of the year so far. Like, yeah, yeah I thought he was so fantastic. It's not a role you would necessarily think of him first, and he looks a lot like Jesse Plemons actually. So I thought yeah. that was an interesting uh, design choice, but um, no, he was, he was awesome. He like, he was like kind of comedic relief, but like not really, it just kind of fit and worked perfectly. He was awesome. I don't even know what else to say about him. I just, I loved him. Yeah. And then just to wrap up the kind of like scene of like, and this is very cliche is like, we're big Marvel superhero movie guys, like the gathering of like the Avengers of scientists. <laughs> that scene was cool. Like just like you're going around like boom, 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 picking up all these guys and explaining everything, but not really explaining anything. And you can see that kind of like tension initially kind of starting in Oppenheimer's character of like, well, what can I tell these guys? Like I'm trying to bring them on to this project. It's going to change the world. But like until they sign up, I can't say anything about what it actually is. And Groves is like, you can say as much as you want until you feel my boot on your balls. And I thought that was so perfect to kind of show like the relationship between them were like, they respect each other. They want the same things, but it is such a delicate time in American history of like, 
McCarthyism, communism, despise like who's really pro anything and like trying to bring people into this huge secret project, but you can't tell anything like that kind of started to show like the weight of what's actually on Oppenheimer's shoulders for me. Um, and then like, again, this is another corny, like superhero type of thing. The suit up scene of Oppenheimer <laughs> where Travolta's character is like, stop wearing that stupid uniform. And then it cuts to him putting on the jacket, putting on the hat and taking the pipe. And I'm just like, I'm a, I'm a sucker for a good suit up scene. Like just give it to me, feed it to me. I'm going to eat it up and I'm going to love every single second of it. That was such an epic scene. And I don't understand why I was like, (laughs) yes, let's go. (laughs) I I don't know him as having this, like this iconography of a hat and pipe. I don't own it. We lost Jordan. I don't, I don't know him as that, but you know, it still just worked. It felt so powerful. I was like, let's go. Yeah. And then I guess while we're filling time before Jordan comes back, if he comes back, um, the, the trial, not really trial, like, oh, he's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. Hold on. <laughs> he's connecting. All right. We're getting there. Uh, technical difficulties. Ohio's having some storms. It happens. Um, the like courtroom type of scenes, like trials, not trials, approvals, denials, like that to me was like my seeing it as like Nolan's version of 12 angry men or a few good men to be like, I'm going to tackle a courtroom drama, but not really a courtroom drama, but make it feel like a courtroom drama and display all those emotions. And I thought he did that perfectly without making it a real trial. And just kind of like the juxtaposition, and I'm sure this is how it was in real life, of like Straws' approval denial hearing and Oppenheimer's approval denial hearing. Well, very different types of hearings, just like the showing of like who is more like publicized and who's more viewed as a positive in the public eye. I thought that was done perfectly because, I mean, he's in the fucking closet in some stupid little room or office and then straws is like publicized press tv everything yeah it was and i i don't think there's necessarily a like a one-to-one correlation to today's politics but i do think just like the idea of like you know you can't really uh trust the government there's always shady things happening there's always like there's things you don't know about and there's people who are power hungry and only in it for the power maybe not even the best uh Maybe not even the best fit for their roles. Um, and it was, it was pretty cathartic to see somebody actually kind of get put in their place in the end, which was Robert Downey Jr.'s character. Um, it, yeah. So I, I agree. And I think that kind of ties back to what you said at the beginning of the Oppenheimer conversation was the way Christopher Nolan could bring in thriller, biopic, courtroom drama and mesh them all together so well. He kind of, hit all of those genres and did them all extre- at a very, very high level. Yeah. Um, Jordan cannot get back in technical difficulties. He texted his final thoughts. Nine out of ten, mm-hmm. high nines. Uh, minor details for him keeping him picky about perfection. Um, I mean, can't really argue with that, but before we kind of, so we can kind of start to wrap it up here. Um, I think this well, some people might not be like, this is Nolan's best movie. It's his greatest work. This is the his most important movie, I would say. And 
building on that, I think it's one of the more important movies of this might be like very hyperbole to say and like super reaching, but of the 21st century, especially given mm-hmm. the timing that it came out, because it kind of it dives into a super historical, like deep matter of the atomic bomb, World War Two, anti-Semitism, McCarthyism, communism, America at that time. And then it also dives into like this man just had an opinion about some third, certain things. He was like, I don't like where we're going with this. He voiced it and he was ostracized. He was cast aside. He was tarred and feathered, so to speak. He was, as the opening quote of the movie on the title board, like ridiculed for eternity. And I think this is the perfect time for this movie to come out because of, and I, we don't need to get too political with like everything like that. We're a stupid movie podcast that sometimes mm-hmm. talks about sports. But, like, this is the right time for this movie to come out because of how our society is right now, where if you say something that some people don't agree with, you're going to get fucking ridiculed. You're going to get called out. You're going to get ostracized. You're going to get blacklisted. You're going to get blocked. You're going to be shadow banned. And this movie really shows a man that had such power, such influence, such a deep root in what America is right now was cast aside like that initially, like almost immediately once he said something or made the wrong person look stupid or just voiced his opinion without thinking it was affecting anybody else. And I think that's such a great parallel to what we're in right now. And I think this is Nolan's best movie. Um, I'll give my score in a little bit, but I think kind of wrapping this up as we kind of mentioned that last scene where he's like, I thought we would start a train reaction that would end the world. World, And Einstein's like, oh, what happened? He's like, I think we did. And that's just such a powerful, like, last line that's close up of his face and then kind of like the VFX of the n- nuclear war that's go- that could possibly happen was so powerful and so jarring and so, like, holy fuck. Yeah. So kind of, I'll get off my soapbox a little bit, give your kind of, like, final thoughts and how you kind of tied everything together maybe your last final thoughts but good things we can maybe talk yeah. a little bit more about killian murphy he was fantastic because mm-hmm. this is his movie and we didn't talk about him at all but i think <laughs> the strength of the entire movie on its own yeah and i think that's how he sorry i'm not off my soapbox yet uh, yes, i think that's okay. how he would want this movie to be discussed like yeah. he is not a very like self-effacing like hey look at me type of guy and i think that speaks to why he's not like a leading actor outside of Peaky Blinders, which I think he just is all about because it's something he's passionate about and he cares. And he's like, this is an awesome subject matter. And it's a more indie type of thing that just got blown up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's Don't why forget about 28 days later though. That's, oh, that's crucial. Well, yeah. He was fantastic <laughs> in that 20 but, years ago, but yes. Yeah. But I think he's, he's also why he's the perfect person to cast in this because he's going to give his all. He's going to dive into everything. I think he had nine, like maybe three months before they started shooting to kind of dive into him and learn the character. He learned Dutch for that one scene, learned German. Like he dove full into him, looked emaciated, put his body through hell to look like him and really portray those different years of his life. And I think, I don't think, I can't see anybody else playing him. Granted, I don't know much about him in his real life, but 
I think he was perfect for the casting, perfect for the role. Nolan initially knew that he was going to be, he wanted to cast him and he wrote with him in mind, but not really. And I, I, I can't say enough. He's to me, he's the runaway best actor. Like I can't see anybody coming close to him. I think this movie's going to clean up in award season. I think it has the staying power. I think it's powerful enough. I think it's important enough. And I can kind of, like you mentioned the gym scene. I think that'll be the scene that they show at the Oscars when they're like nominee for best actor, Killian Murphy. Yeah. That scene. And I'll, it immediately will give me goosebumps because I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it right now. Yeah. So, now I'm done. No, it was great. And I, I think I agree with everything you just said. I'm really, it's weird. I, I haven't felt the urge to go see another three hour movie in a long, like to go repeat view a yeah. three hour movie in a long time. And I, I'm really, really looking forward to my next viewing. I did see that like my local AMC is like sold out through end of August or something. So uh, it might be tough to, to snag a ticket in the theater I want to go to, but that's minor details. But I think that just goes to show that this is, you know, kind of like, again, kind of like what you said at the beginning of the pod, if you told somebody what this movie is, who knows what they would, if, if they would go see it. But um, I think word is getting out that it really is a really, really good movie. Potentially Christopher Nolan's best. I don't know if it's my like my favorite. I think I, I enjoy Interstellar and uh, uh, Inception maybe a little bit better, but I just can't get over how just well-crafted, well-thought-out um, this difficult subject matter was and how well it was portrayed on screen by almost every single person involved. I'm very happy it exists. Um I'm very sad that this nuclear threat is still lingering over us and uh, this chain reaction that they did set off um, is still something that we have to be concerned about just because people are egotistical, power hungry and stupid. Um, and it's a real shame that, that, you know, we're still in this situation that started years and years ago, but about the movie, I mean, just to sum it up, like you said, like Killian Murphy was fantastic. Matt Damon was fantastic. Um, Emily Bunt was great with what she had. I think just, I'm just so impressed and so happy that this movie exists and I'm really excited to rewatch it. And like you said, kind of clean up in the award season. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much it. Oh, do you want me to give my score now? Yeah. give, give your. <laughs> okay. Right now, and, and I, I, I reserve the right to change my scores up until the Oscars. That's, that's my cutoff. I know you said yours is two weeks. Mine is, mine is the Oscars. So I do reserve my right to change it because I will be watching it again. Um, right now, I'm at a 94 out of 100, which takes away a few points for some of the criticisms I, I laid out earlier in the, in the pod. But um, it really is as good as, as it was hyped up to be and, and even more so. Yeah, so that, this... Uh, so since I started <laughs> recording my scores and everything like that, I've only had a couple like upper 90 type of movies. Obviously I said Mission Impossible is 96. Uh, probably should be a little bit lower, but whatever. I only have five, six 98s, and that's my highest. I have 199, that's Parasite. Uh, then it's the Batman 98, Spider-Man Cross Spider-Verse 98, 1917 98, and Avengers Endgame 98. Granted, Endgame probably shouldn't have dropped a lot because I don't think it's that great of a movie on its mm -hmm. own. I think Infinity War is a better movie. That's a different podcast. Uh, but I have my rules. Once it's in there, two weeks, that's all I have. This is my first 100 out of 100. Like, And it's, it's insane to me because 
it, like I said, I have my criticisms. I have my like little things that I don't agree with. And I'm like, ah, like this is, this just doesn't hit for me. But the sum of the whole, like the whole parts of it just works so well for me. Like everything around all of my little criticisms are perfect for me. Uh, we didn't even talk about the fucking Trinity test scene. That scene, the way it was shot with it dropping and then going silent and seeing it through his eyes and the flames and everything. And then it, that the quote of like, I am become death, the story of worlds. And then the like explosion sound hitting. I just got goosebumps saying it. Um, it is just, it's so well done because I think everybody going into it is like, how is he going to show it? Like how, because we know he's not doing a VFX. We know he actually dropped a bomb. We don't know how he did it. We don't know anything about that, but we know it's there and he executed it perfectly. Uh, from that point on to the end of the movie, it's like a thrill ride of like buckle up because we're coming in for a bumpy landing. Uh, I don't see anything being better than this this year. Uh, I probably would have said that prior to the writers and actor strikes anyway. Uh, this movie was fucking insane. Uh, I will say, if you're going to see it, be prepared. It is very heavy. It is very dense. You will leave the theater feeling things that you weren't prepared. Maybe like I was, I left. I was driving home. I had chills, goosebumps. I was like so emotionally like invested in it and just like jarred by it. I posted a picture of me looking at my t- blank TV screen. Like it was funny, but like I literally looked at that for an hour. Like I literally, I couldn't consume <laughs> any media for an hour after watching it. I was just like, this yeah. is fucking insane. I have the book. I'm ready to read it. I'm probably going to see it again. Like I, I, it's a three hour movie. Who sees it three times? Like that's fucking insane. But yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's. I I have, I have three, three words to say to that. Movies are back. They're back. They're back. I love it. A hundred out of a hundred. I absolutely love it. It's very valid. Completely. It did. It did knock me out of my chair when you said it, but uh, it is. It is completely valid, and I love that you you feel that way about it. And I'm so excited to see it again. I think I I would. I didn't really grade it after the first time I saw it. It would probably be like a 98, 99 after the first time, and then like seeing it last night just cemented it. Um. Yeah. So that's. And that's Oppenheimer. That's Mission Impossible. We talked about that too. That was that was a while ago. Um, we'll convene again. Poor, poor Tom Cruise. Yeah, poor Tom Cruise. Uh, he's he's doing okay. He's uh, fine. Jordan loved it. Nine point high nines out of it. Uh, we'll reconvene once he sees Barbie because that's a completely different conversation. Another very enjoyable summer movie. I recommend going going to see it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I don't want to get too much into it, but. Uh, so before I said Spence, give me two words to describe Oppenheimer before we talked about it. Your two words. Uh, let me pull it back up because I forget. Uh, what did I say? I said, oh, I said devastating and inspired. I uh, Jordan said, shit. What did he say? Steadily intense. I would say moving and important. Go see this movie. See it on the biggest screen you can. If you can't see it on a big screen, see it in the theaters. It does not. It is made for this big screen experience. Uh, enjoy it. Hopefully, we made some sense. 
Uh, appreciate you guys listening, Spence. Appreciate you coming on. We'll talk about Bar- Barbie next week or something. Jordan, sorry you had technical difficulties. Thanks for powering through it. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Have fun at the movies.